Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another edition of Golick and Smetty. I'm Mike Golick Sr. along with Jessica Smetana, who is Smetty uh, in this case here, and certainly not me. And uh, I apologize just right out of the gate if I stumble on my words or don't sound quite up to it, um, as the taping of this is still about three days after my daughter's wedding this past weekend. But there is no doubt if I did a blood alcohol, <laughs> it would still be very, very bad. So I apologize for any any English mistakes I make. Okay, well, apology accepted. Um, I will actually, you know what, I'll take, I take that back. I will accept your apology as long as I get a full oh. wedding recap from you. Because Mike... As we've discussed before, Sid was in my my class at Notre yep. Dame. I'm friends with your son, Mike, and Jake, and your daughter-in-law, Jenny. I follow everyone on social media. I saw so many Instagram stories from this wedding this weekend. I feel like I was there. And I want to I want to hear everything about it because it looked amazing. It sounded amazing. You teased a little bit for us last week. And I want to hear about how everything went, how you feel today, how Sid feels today how your wallet feels today, if it's a little bit lighter. I just need to hear everything. Yeah, well, I feel like shit. All right, so, I mean, that, that's just, we'll, we'll get that out of the way. Sid and Ben, at this point, probably feel like shit, but they're sitting on the beaches in Hawaii right now on their honeymoon, so forget them. You know, I mean, they're, <laughs> they're, they're enjoying that. Jess, I mean, and, and again, as my wife said out on Instagram and, and Twitter, this was her Super Bowl. I think she called herself the Patriots of wedding planning. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And and you know what? She's the GM. She's Bill Belichick. She she did it. I mean, it was it was incredible. I can't think of one thing that didn't go the way it was supposed to go from the Friday night where we had the welcome party. Again, it was the re- rehearsal, but we had everybody because they came in from out of town. So we had kind of a Western theme. So mm-hmm. we all had on like our, our flannels or our, our cowboy hats. I saw some shit. chaps. I saw Jake wearing some like questionable. Like, yeah. Well, we were hoping Jake was going to do assless chaps, but he decided to have pants on underneath, uh, which is probably a good thing uh, that he I did agree. that. But we liked that night, Jess, because all the, there were a bunch of different factions of friends, and they all got to kind of meet that night. So the next day, the day of the wedding, nobody there was no introductions. Everybody kind of knew one another. So that was great. It, it went so well. We actually, I mean, it, it was early. It was like 5 to 9, that part of it. And nine o'clock hit and nobody left. 
So they came up to us and they're like, do you want to extend this? And we're like, no, because tomorrow is going to be such a long day, way longer than, than the Friday before the wedding. We said, no, if people want to go out, let them go out. And they did. And we just, we just prepared for the next day. And the wedding day, I mean, it was, listen, we're in Arizona. It's just beautiful weather. Um, but, I mean, Sydney looked fantastic. I'm still amazed at how early women have to get oh, ready. it's the worst. It, I mean, the wedding was at 4.30 in the afternoon. Chris and, and, and all the, the, the bridesmaids and Sydney were all in this room with the makeup people at 8.30. Yeah. 8.30. It's, ter it's terrible. I mean, w what is the deal? Well, I, don't I mean, that. Mike, unless you're going to shell out extra dough for more makeup and hair art people, you know, you got to like cycle through everybody. And so it takes people hours and then you got to go do the next bridesmaid and then the next bridesmaid. It's just, it's too much. I, I've had to wake up for weddings before at like 6 a.m. Yeah. And it the night before. And then you're tired by the time the wedding starts. And then you look like crap anyway. So I mean, ugh, it's unreal. I I had to, the wedding was at 4.30. I had to be ready at 2.30 for pictures. I literally got in the shower at 2 o'clock. It was like my own wedding when, so I had to, when I had to leave at 2.30. I got in the, in the shower a half hour before I left. Now, if you're going to be in it that long, the one thing I have to say all the bridesmaids did is all the time they were in there, they finished off 12 bottles of champagne. Wow, that is impressive. Yeah. Salute to them. Yeah, it was it was very very impressive. It really was. Um, then I took the, the first look picture was actually me and Sydney. It wasn't Sydney and Ben. They didn't want to do that, so it was Sydney and I. But I had seen her in her dress because when when she she first got it. But still, I mean, on your wedding day, I mean, she looked phenomenal. How many how many times did you cry? I I can't remember what we put the over so, under at, but I mean, so so as we're getting ready to walk down the aisle or down the outside out in the terrace, Sid says to me, I don't want to cry here. So we, we can't get emotional. So, you know, I, got, I need to laugh. So right before we, right before we, we walked down the aisle, I looked over at her and I said, you're fucking ugly. <laughs> and she just died laughing at Aww. that. And that kind of, kind of broke it, you know, and then I walked her down. Um, I got a little choked up handing her off to Ben, you know, giving her a hug, giving Ben a hug, and then handing her off. That kind of got me a little bit. Mike was, Mike, again, my son Mike was the official. Mm -hmm. and, and his last line, the power invested in me invested by the internet. <laughs> I pronounce you man <laughs> and wife. Cause, but, but it was legal. He signed the marriage certificates and everything. So hearing, and, and instead of like, if you're in a church, you get like readings. He did mm -hmm. like quotes from movies. He did, oh, a, wow. he did a quote from You've Got Mail, and he did a quote from Fleabag. And, and it was about 15 minutes long, but he was, he riffed a little bit. He was fantastic. But that kind of got us a little bit as well. well. I mean, it helps having a radio professional. Yeah, yeah, it does. on network television officiating your wedding. I feel like that kind of ruins it for everyone else who's, now there's some poor people that Sid invited who are like, oh, we should get your brother to officiate the wedding. Okay, yeah. And then the guy's like, you know, has some desk job where he's never spoken in public and he's going to do it now in this hypothetical situation and completely screw up. Mike probably made everyone look bad. They should just hire Mike. I'm sure he'd do it That's for a true, fee yeah. for other people like That's that. That's a good business to get yeah. into. Be like the traveling comedian officiant. Yes. And, and, and it is official. It's hilarious. I love it. So that, that took about 15 minutes. It was, it was fantastic.
And then we started the, um, the cocktail hour and a half where the one thing Sydney said, because the photographer said, you know, you'll probably miss all that with picture, pictures and knowing Sydney, she said, nope, not happening. <laughs> I, I am not missing all the whole. So I need at least a half hour at the cocktail. So they worked that out, which is, and I, and I skipped the part. But so before the wedding, they had her taking pictures in the desert because it's right here out in the desert, the, the place where they got married. And at one point, they said to her, the way the wind's blowing a little bit right now, it'd be really cool if you laid down. And, and she's oh, like, no. I'm in a wedding dress. You want me to lay down in the desert? No, you know, Sydney. And the people who have heard Sydney know Sydney. Her answer, fuck no. <laughs> so that, that sounds <laughs> like it would be a disaster. Oh, my God. And, and Jenny, uh, my daughter-in-law, was standing right there. And she was ready to pounce as Sydney was... <laughs> Felt pressured into it to say no way, but Sydney took care of that. I feel like Jenny is the, definitely the enforcer of the family, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. And at six and a half months pregnant, just don't push her the wrong way, man, because exactly. she'll snap on you. But we go to the to the, the the cocktail hour, and there was my best purchase was the beer burrow, mm-hmm. who we call Joe burrow. burrow. So um, I, you know that was that was really a hit. The burrow just kind of walked around and had the saddlebags full of beer, and, uh, and and we had those, and then it was. We had two, anybody could drink whatever they want, but there were two specialty drinks. For Sid, it was a Moscow Mule, and for Ben, it was a Old Fashioned. So there were those and beer and, and, and everything else. So we were hitting it pretty hard. And I, we get to the dinner, or right before the dinner, there's the first dance. And again, Darius Rucker was there, was an, no who wanted deal, to be yeah. there. Mm-hmm. And, and Darius was the one who said, because... The first dance song for them and my father-daughter dance were both his songs. And he said, I want to sing them. I said, Darius, you do not have to sing them. He said, I'm singing them. So we had it all set up and and he sang it. So it was a father-daughter. It was the uh, first group dance for the bride and groom. It was Darius' song. A song, by the way, he hasn't released yet, which was even cooler. Oh my God, this is ridiculous. I know. And it was unreal. Unreal. He's singing the song and they're dancing. So, of course... Me and Chris and a lot of people are in tears because the song is beautiful. And so we're in tears. And literally when they ended, the one guy who was kind of playing the music for dinner grabbed the mic and he said, okay, it's time for the father of the bride to talk. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? I said, I just got that off that emotional roller coaster ride. And now I got the mic in my hand, you know, 30 years of broadcasting experience. And Jess, I struggled. I oh, just, no. I mean, I, I knew what I wanted to say and I eventually said it all, but I mean, I, as I walked up there with the mic, I looked at Sydney and just got choked up. Oh no. And, oh, Poor Mike. <laughs> I mean, so I'm, you know, welcoming everybody on behalf of my wife and, and Ben's uh, parents, you know, uh, Christine and, and, and Brian Broniker. And then I'm talking about my, 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 my talk, and I'll be able to say it now because there's nobody around, but, you know, we're milestones in people's lives. But to me, it was about moments like Ben and Sid are living with us because they're waiting to see where Ben goes to med school. So I would always see moments where Ben was just, you know, you could just see, you know, a smile here, a kiss on the cheek, just, just that they were best friends and they were just those moments added up to how cool it was. And then, with Sydney, it wasn't, you know, milestones of this swim meet or, or, or that soccer match or something in school. It was driving her to swim practice 
you know, sitting with her in between finals or prelims and finals, you know, those moments where, you know, laying in bed with her until she falls asleep when she couldn't, you know, and Mike, you're going to make me cry. I mean, but I'm, I wish I could have said it all, but I was breaks in between because I had to catch myself. I was crying, you know, And, and I knew I wanted to finish, you know, with, you know, Ben's taking care of you now and he's the man in your life, but you'll always be daddy's little girl. You know, that was the ending, but, but it was like, but it was like, daddy's little girl. I mean, I was, (laughs) oh, I could barely get it out by then. I could barely get it out. Oh, it was so hard because Mike did great. Then Jenny with her maid of honor speech was phenomenal. This is how she ended it. She was funny throughout and serious throughout. And then she said, and I forgot the line completely, but she said, Sid, say to Ben, I'll always love you through thick and thin, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Sid says it to Ben. And she said, now, Ben, tell Sid, I love you through thick and thin and blah, blah, blah. And Ben says that. And, and Jenny's last line was, okay, Ben, that's the last time you'll ever get the last word in. <laughs> it, it worked out perfectly. with. I the love it. Marriage jokes. Mike, I need to know, was it more or less than the five minutes you were allotted? Because clearly you had to stop and you were sniffling. I went more. I definitely went more. And I even said to Sydney, it's good to go more than five. But, you know, give me a break (laughs) here because I'm crying, you know. So by words themselves, it was probably within the time frame that was allotted. Uh, But with the crying, it, it definitely wasn't. And Ben's brother, Noah, who was the best man, phenomenal speech. I'm the only one. Who, who couldn't get through it without without breaking down and crying. And I did it multiple times. So I was like, oh, shit. But, you know, I mean, there, there was no way. There, there was no way I could catch it and stop. Um, and, I, and quite honestly, I was happy when all that was over. And then when dinner was over, they cut the cake with the samurai sword, which was very cool. <laughs> I mean, We never even got to discuss the samurai sword. I know, I know. So we'll get pictures of that out. There were fireworks. Then we went in and I was like, thank God, let's just go dance. The band was incredible. And I just, I don't think I was off the dance floor for more than five minutes, drank a pickly, prickly pear margaritas for the rest of the night. And we basically danced till 1130. And the most drunk person at the wedding, Sydney. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, she ended up doing... <laughs> I would have bet on that. <laughs> oh, yeah. She ended up doing shots with Darius toward the end of the night, just her and him, and that kind of put her over the edge. She actually had to have three of her friends carry her to the honeymoon suite. O- over the threshold, yeah. Oh, yeah. Very and romantic for Ben. <laughs> exactly. So what are we getting? Pictures of her throwing up in the honeymoon suite, passed out in the honeymoon suite, so it wasn't a normal honeymoon suite night. Let me just say that. It was not. That's amazing. I, I need to ask one more question, Mike. Yeah. How was the food? Oh, the food was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had a choice of sea bass or, or a steak. It was fantastic. The cake, there were three different flavors of cake. We had night food, which was like chicken tenders, sliders, pizza, uh, there was, as I've always said, at a, at a Golic function, there will never not be enough alcohol and or food. But yeah, the food was fantastic. So, I mean, the night was just everything we thought it would be, but it was also over quicker, you know? You plan yeah. and then all of a sudden it's done, you know? But I, I listen, I don't drink a lot. 
I was so hungover. And I, like I said, I still have residual hangover. It's just, it's brutal, but it was all worth it. All worth and it. I have, I have FOMO and I'm sure everyone listening also has FOMO. And I hope that at the next Golic wedding, probably Mike Jr.'s. It would have to be. That, that's the only one left. Be. Yeah. Your guess is as good as ours. I would like to be in attendance. So I'm going to continue to weasel my way into the Golic family. Make sure that I'm at the next uh, Golic extravaganza. We'll really piss off Stu and you'll be invited and he won't. Oh, for sure. And yeah. uh, if, if you invite Stu Gatz to anything, he, you know he's going to end up making it about himself, right? Like, yeah, he is. He'll get yeah. up at Mike's wedding and give a speech. And, and whoever Mike ends up marrying, Stu Gatz will take all the credit for it. He, he will. will. He will make up a story about how he introduced him to them and blah, 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 and how it's all thanks to him. So you don't want to have anything to do with that. Trust me. He'll, he'll give a speech and then he'll invoice, right? Right. And, char- and charge course. me for it. I don't mm-hmm. think there's any doubt about that. And then he'll that, steal so. the samurai sword. Yeah. Yeah. The samurai sword was very, very cool though. I'm, I'm glad. So real quick, the, the story on that, I was doing a college game in Tennessee in Knoxville. And as when there was some free time, I saw a store that said, largest knife store in the world. And I'm like, shit, okay, I got to go in there. And it truly was. (laughs) It was like three floors of knives and swords. So I FaceTimed Sid. I said, Sid, I'm in the largest knife store in the world. I said, you still want to do is cut your cake with a sword? She said, yeah. I said, okay, I'll I'll call you back. And I went to these samurai swords because that's what her and Ben wanted. Jess, I kid you not. I had two swords in my hand. They looked almost identical, but I could feel the difference. But if you looked at them, they looked normal, okay? So I FaceTimed Sid, and I said, Sid, here's these two here, because these are the two like she got it down to. I said, which one do you want? She said, oh, the one on the right, whatever. The one on the left was $54. The one on the right was $650. And she just like <laughs> immediately picked that one oh, out. Oh, man. I yeah. love Sid. That's Unbelievable. Incredible. Yeah. She yeah. just knows. She's got a nose for it. Yeah, unfortunately she does. So I don't know what the final bill was. I don't want to know what the final bill was. At some point, Chris and Sydney just talked in code around me. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't know. Uh, but, man. I probably talked too long about it. And I'm sorry, but it was a great time. It was, well, a great it was time. an important milestone in your life yeah. and in the life of this podcast, Mike, because we had a lot of build up towards it. So I'm sure everyone's happy to see. You know what? I, I got to see all the Instagram stories and the photos. People listening didn't. So this yeah. is all they're going to hear from it. Yeah. So yeah. Pe- the people needed to know how it went. Yeah. There's still going to be more pictures, I'm sure, sent out. I don't I don't know how to do an Instagram story. So Sid will eventually do it on my things. So when I she gets back from her honeymoon. Yeah, that's exactly right. I'll leave her alone for a while. So so that was that. So all that was going on during that is getting ready for a draft and NBA NBA playoffs are starting. That's about it. I guess I can start concentrating on that now. Probably, but you know, you can you can bask in the afterglow of the wedding for a little bit first. Yeah, I got to find ways to make up all that money first. <laughs> well, luckily we have a podcast, so I guess now is <laughs> a good opportunity to segue into the NBA playoffs. I know you probably didn't get to watch a lot because you had family in town all weekend, but I think the only major storyline because there there haven't uh, you know they just started. There's only yeah, a couple exactly. games so far. Yeah. Is uh, Kyrie Irving's uh, Boston feud and him flipping off the crowd, giving them the double bird when Boston fans were heckling him and, and yelling obscenities at him at the game. So I guess, Mike, I we might have completely different opinions on this because you're you're a little bit more old school than I. I'm a little bit more, you know, I like, I think swearing is for the most part fine. I think flipping off 
fans isn't really as egregious as you know maybe some people think it might be um i'm wondering where you land on all of this do you think he was justified do you think the fans should probably cool it a little bit where do you where do you end up with all so of this? i think you'll be surprised jess i don't i don't care that he did it i don't care i mean listen we know he's a little he's a little out there right and by the way he got fined 50k by the nba for flipping off you know, the fans, but but he's making a ton of money. So, I mean, it, for my salary in my years, if I got fined 50000 for something, Chris would have killed me. <laughs> well, then you wouldn't have had a beer donkey. So. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's very true. Something would have got cut out of that. But, you know, listen, here's my thought is, I've always thought this way is fans are looking for a reaction. So they're going to yell everything in the world. And if you read what they were yelling at him, they were calling him some pretty bad stuff. Um and it's in Boston, so nobody's shocked, <laughs> you know, <laughs> at, at, at all. I'm watching the, you know, the Magic Johnson kind of story on HBO, the winning series. Oh, yes, winning time. Yeah, and the last it, episode was all about Boston. All about Boston, going to Boston. It's exactly right when they pulled out like a one-point win to the Lakers. But And we know Boston can get pretty saucy. Um, and, and my thought is they're only looking for a reaction. Don't give them a reaction. Don't don't acknowledge that you hear them. That's what I always tried to do. A quick aside to that, one time in Philadelphia, uh, our punt returner was struggling, and he, and he muffed another punt returner or something. And as he came off the field, I went over as he was sitting down just trying to say, hey, don't worry about it. And one of our own fans yelled something horrible at him right in the first row. And I literally – didn't take my own advice and started walking right toward the guy, you know, and, and he saw me coming after him and his girlfriend was sitting with him. So he was trying to talk big and I was going right for him. And luckily a cop stepped right in front of me, looked me square in the face and said, Mike, he is not worth that. Do not go any further. We'll take care of it. And, and it kind of broke me. And I'm like, yeah, I'm right. I shouldn't, shouldn't have done that. So I have always been, just don't react. Don't let them know that it gets you. But Kyrie did, you know, the double bird behind his head when he did that and yelling back shit at the fans. And you know what? I don't care. I, I don't care. Listen, the dude's a great player. I know they lost the game, but he went off in that game. Um, so if you're going to yell something as a fan, then be prepared to have something yelled back. Again, I wouldn't want to do it because I wouldn't want to let them know, hey, you got to me enough where I'm answering you. But Kyrie does. So I don't, I, fine, go ahead. You're going to get fined. If you don't care about losing the money, so be it. But you know what? If you're going to sit there and yell as a fan, no, you may get something back at you. But again, I think that's what those fans are looking for. As soon as Kyrie makes a reaction, you see the fans, they start whooping and hollering even more like, yeah, I got him to react to me. And that's what they want. You're almost like letting the fans win there. Yeah, that's, I, I think I, I agree with you there. I think the one thing that I don't understand about any of this is having the mindset of a fan who spends a lot of money to go to an NBA game just to yell swear words at an athlete. I like, I, I've been to so many sporting events that I have had just, I have detested whatever team my team's playing against or another player my team's right. playing against. I've hated them. I've been angry. I've been mad. I've been upset, but I have never once felt the urge to yell a swear word or curse at someone that I don't know in real life. Like I, I've booed a team running out of a tunnel. Like that's the extent yeah. of it. I know like some people might, might be different than me and that's fine, but I can't understand the men that mentality where you're yelling F you at a guy and calling yeah. him a bunch of different names. I just, 
man, I love sports, but I guess I just don't love them that much, Mike. Well, I, I think that's why they say fan is short for fanatic, right? I mean, these people either go to the game with the intent of doing that or they get enough alcohol and them at the game that yeah, it brings it out in them. There's, there's fanatics in all sports. And in a, in a few minutes, we'll, we'll get into the football sport and the draft and talk to Kyle Krabs from the Draft Network and, and break down that because that's the next big event coming up. But we, I, I saw that. When I was with the Eagles, Jess, we, we bus up to play the Giants. And as our buses go pulling into the stadium, you know, people are just yelling the worst things at you. But I have to admit, I saw one thing that was pretty cool. It was a father, and you could tell it was a son. And the kid couldn't have been more than 12. They, and as I looked, they, stood, they were standing there with their arms around one another, not saying anything, and both of them were flipping us off. <laughs> and, and I just looked, I said, what a great father-son moment. I love that. Yeah, they good were, for they them, honestly. Yeah, they weren't yelling anything. They just stood there silently flipping us off. See, and I'm flipping like, the bird, it's, yeah. it's purely one of those like symbolic things. Yeah. That, I mean, you, you could say the same for language, right? It only has meaning because we give it meaning. But yep. flipping the bird feels like it's it's not as big of a deal as it used to be. It's just not. It's more funny than anything, right? Absolutely I agree. Absolutely agree. And I'm with you. Swear words, they do not affect me one bit. I, I, I don't care. They are just words that you're right, we're given the meaning. So so this whole Kyrie thing, Kyrie is not going to take it from the fans. He's going to give it back as much as you can. I doubt there's going to, let's hope there's never a physical altercation. You don't want that. Um, you know, so Kyrie, if he does it again, he'll get fined again because the league says you guys are supposed to act differently. Um, and, and as Kyrie said, we're the ones expected to be docile and be humble and take a humble approach. He said, fuck that. It's the playoffs. This is what it is. I have no problem. I don't care. That's fine. You know, hey, listen, all I got to say is, okay, Boston, you won that game, but Kyrie played a hell of a game, man. So, you know, be careful. Be careful of pissing someone off like that if they're going to go off on you. Yeah, we're pissing off every Boston fan who's listening to this right now because they do not like Kyrie. And now, Mike, they probably don't like us. But you know what? Eh, it is what it is. Hey, it is what it is. You know, we're just we're just talking at you the way the way we feel. So, you know, what what can you do? We'll see. We'll see where the playoffs go. Like you said, they, they really have just started. Um, so we'll see where they end up. We'll obviously get more into them uh, as as uh, you know as they progress. But uh, it's the start of it. He always makes the news, but. In all honesty, it's draft time, isn't it? It is draft time. And so we're going to talk to Kyle Krabs from the Draft Network, and we're going to get a little draft preview coming up. Joining us now is the founder and director of scouting for the Draft Network, Kyle Krabs. Kyle, really appreciate you taking some time to talk about the draft, which, as we know, is just absolutely blown up over the years. So I, I, I guess where I would start is you've been doing this for a while now, breaking down the players and everything. Has this year seemed different than years past or what has been, I guess, unique about this year? Yeah, I first got started in this space in 2013. And thanks, first and foremost, thanks, Mike, to you and Jess for having me excited to talk a little football here. So um, I've been in this space since about 2013. And this definitely has a different flavor to it as far as kind of the build up to this year's event and uh of course the quarterback market is a big driver behind that as far as kind of the open-endedness on when that run might start if that run's going to start early this year uh but the foil that i think is really interesting is you look at a lot of the other 
premium positions that teams usually covet your offensive tackles, your corners, your pass rushers. And there's a lot of really good talent at those spots as compared to the quarterback class, which doesn't have some of the top end talent that we've seen the last couple of years. So that's kind of the big mystery is, are you going to take everything else that you, you feel really good about what you have, or when are you going to swing on that quarterback? So what do you say to people who aren't as interested or invested this year because there isn't a visible quarterback class that's really getting people excited like some of the years previously? Yeah, it, I would say, I guess it, it takes all 22, right? Or, it, it, you know, it, all 53 on your roster. And I know you get a couple extra guys on game day. So uh, these are all really important pieces to your puzzle. It just might not be the star power that is going to keep you in this conversation for uh, a decade if you hit a quarterback out of the park. But there's still really intriguing players between Liberty's Malik Willis. I think he has the physical tools that you've seen uh, young quarterbacks to come into the league and, and have success. It's a lot of times because they have that physical ability to, in case of emergency, break glass. And, and they have that physical skill to lean on while they learn by doing and making mistakes. And Malik has a lot of those skills. And, and I think Desmond Ritter from Cincinnati is somebody who uh, has played a lot of football, has a lot of really appealing qualities. He's going to be a, a scheme specific starter. Uh, but Jess, I, I guess the talking my way into my point here is except for a handful of guys, they're all scheme specific starters in the NFL. And I still think you can find some guys who are going to be starting quarterbacks in the NFL, but you're going to have to have a little bit of pressure to get the stuff around them. Right. So, you know, and, and even though it's against my better judgment as a former D lineman to keep talking about quarterbacks, but that, that always drives everything, even though I hate them. Um, I was, you know, born to being on the defensive side you they always in my eyes get overvalued now and i'm i know you've had mock drafts out there i think you had one did you just have malik willis going in the, in the first round you could tell me what you had because it always seems once you get around to the draft it's like some teams we know they overreach and all of a sudden there's three that go in the first round or four that go in the first round and you just start shaking your head well, uh, from my perspective, and it, it's tough on the outside when you're not evaluating for a specific team, right? Because they all have their guidelines right. on what specifics they're looking for. But yeah, I have one quarterback in my top 32 prospects this year, and that is Malik Willis. And that is based off of traits. And I think he's 31st or 32nd. So um, there's guys that are going to get drafted before that. Uh, the mock that you're referring to, Mike, was a what would I do mock draft. It was, right. I think, Malik Willis at 20 yeah, to Pittsburgh. To yeah. And that was really because he didn't have to play year one. right? And quarterbacks don't get that treatment in the NFL anymore either, really. I mean, that's such a rarity for a guy like Trey Lance to come in and, and sit for a whole year when San Francisco spent three ones on him. So, uh, yeah, it, it's certainly that, that overvaluation of that position. We're expecting it to happen again this year. But if you look at him in a vacuum, I just think there's a lot better answers at other spots for some of your premium positions. Kyle, as a former safety in the NFL myself, we've seen a lot of movement with Kyle <laughs> Hamilton as uh, Mina Kimes has said he's the best player in this draft, I believe, and other people are very high on him. But the last few weeks, he's fallen a little bit in some of the mocks, maybe because of his 40 time. So Mike and I are obviously both big Notre Dame fans. And we, I think, Mike, I speak for both of us, we are full believers in Kyle Hamilton, yeah. having watched him play the last two seasons and be spectacular at Notre Dame. So what is going on with him? Where is he going to get drafted? And is he is, is the hype real? Like, should he have been should he be falling falling these past few weeks? Or is he really one of the best players in this draft? He's my top rated player in this class. Um, 
And it really comes down to, especially when you think about it's a copycat, right? You hear the saying every year in the fall, in the spring, in the summer, like it's always, that's one of those phrases you always hear. And one of the big trends right now is teams playing two high safeties on defense to try to take away explosive plays in the passing game for all these big arm quarterbacks that can extend plays and push the ball down the field. But when you've got a safety like Kyle, who can line up at 12 to 15 yards of depth in a two high safety look, and they run the ball because you've got two high safeties and he can get down into the box and fit the run for a two yard gain. Like that's really, really special stuff. And then you, you look at the versatility in the way that they did move him around. I know man-to-man coverage was a bit of a question for him coming into this season. And I thought he did a good job as far as the opportunities he was provided in trying to answer those questions. Uh, but I, I would say, yeah, it's guys, we get bored with guys and Kyle Hamilton, he was hurt. So his season ended early. We've known he's been great for forever. And it's like, okay, what's the cool flavor of the week? That's why Trevon Walker from Georgia has just been like red hot in the last three weeks or so. And it's, it's a new name and it's somebody else to introduce into that conversation. Uh, I'm trying my best not to get bored with Kyle Hamilton because his season ended early and he ran a four, five, seven, you know, some of the best safeties in the game of football historically ran in the high four fives. Ed Reed ran in the high four fives. Now I don't think Kyle Hamilton, that's not his style of play, right? But that's also not teams don't play that style of defense anymore. And, And I think for Kyle being six foot three, six foot four, being as long as he is, being as fluid as he is at that size and being able to get down and fit the run in the box while also you, you could trust him to take either quarter field or half field coverages. Just don't ask him to play single high free safety and go sideline to sideline. And so I think that's kind of where the misconception is on what Kyle is and is not. Um, and, and I'm sure there's some Isaiah Simmons um, PTSD too. When you remember when Isaiah Simmons came out of yeah. Clemson and it was kind of the same thing as, big athlete he's going to play safety while he was drafted to play linebacker and i'm sure some people have that question in the back of their head too yeah it is the nfl of today to be that versatile player to come down low or play back high and 40 time i just get so sick of it to me it's more game speed than what you do in the straight 40 and you talk about the boredom it seems to go and be going on with that Kayvon thibodeau the edge rusher from oregon as yes. well so this is what rattles my cage every year tell me how you separate your scouting during the season when they actually play football mm-hmm. and then from February on when they actually don't play football anymore but are put in, you know, different ways, you know, from high jump to broad Silly jump. Silly workouts. To yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, underwear, the underwear, Olympics. underwear Olympics, I call it. So how do you differentiate between breaking down the two different scenarios? Yeah, I, I think in the, the, the pre-draft process is really about trying to find confirmation of what you thought you saw on tape. Right. So uh, for some guys, and I would use te- like Texas A&M tight end Jalen Weidemeyer as the example, uh, he came into the combine and he tested it, He did not test well. And then he went to his pro day and he ran above five seconds in a, like a 40 yard dash. And you knew he was slow. But when you got the full picture of what that athletic profile was like, oh, there's not too many guys historically that are that far off, like standard deviations of what your usual successful tight end looks like. So that maybe that's a bit of a red flag. Uh, but for the vast majority of these guys, I mean, they go in buckets. We, we put them in round buckets, kind of the, the board behind me has like each round for each position group and they stay in that bucket. And then you try to use the, the pre-draft stuff 
to confirm what you saw. You can use it as tiebreakers for guys within certain buckets as you're trying to put them into scheme-specific type of projections. Um, and if there's something that, that really jumps out, like, wow, I, I didn't see that explosiveness on tape or I didn't think he had that kind of bend or change of direction skills, then you go back to the tape and maybe you watch a couple extra games. But, I mean, he, these past two years have been tough too because with the COVID stuff, there were guys, Rashad Bateman from Minnesota. Uh, to his 2019 season was excellent. His 2020 season, he had co- got COVID before the season, and his play never really recovered from that. And he looked like a di- like a lesser player at Minnesota before he ended up getting drafted, and then he go- gets ends up getting drafted in the first round still. But um, you, you got to really try to get a big sample size of film, and preferably year over year. So, Mike, to answer your question, the, this pre-draft process stuff for us is just finding that confirmation bias, and if we get something we didn't expect go back to the film, go back to them actually watching football and ask yourselves the question of how can I contextualize this? How can I explain this discrepancy between what I thought I saw and what we got and tested? What do you do for a guy like uh, Jamison Williams, you know, who everyone's going to say the best wide receiver and then he gets hurt. Now you don't see him anymore. Now you don't see him in anything from February through the draft because of injury. How, How do you evaluate that? It's really tough, right? Because we, we don't have the access to the medicals in a way that the teams would, and we're not doctors. And so what we try to do is we'll put a red flag tag on a player. So for a guy like Jameson, we'll put injury. Uh, so we'll put an I and we'll put um, uh, an M. We'll put the M for medical and the I for an incomplete athletic profile, but we won't change the grade. Like we can only grade them on what we have access to and what we can make judgments on and feel comfortable with. So uh, we're, we're not going to adjust grades over a TDN based on injuries just because that, I mean, it's, it, it's guesswork at that point. Right. So let's make the judgments. And, you know, every year there's some guys that, that we have in the 60s, 70s on our board that last until the middle of day three. And usually they have an M tag on them for medical questions. And sure enough, teams are a little bit more scared off by the medicals. So uh, we, we try to just make the judgment based off tape as best as we can and acknowledge that there is more inherent risk with some of those guys. But we're, as we're not privy to the info, we just feel it'd be irresponsible to start moving guys around with that. When you see fan bases uh, on Twitter start dissecting mock uh, draft projections for, oh, yeah. <laughs> for silly reasons or for serious reasons, take, for example, Kenny Pickett's hands, right? When his hand measurements came out, I saw... All of the Steelers fan pages that I follow on Twitter were freaking out about his hand size. What is your reaction to that? Is there any truth to any of that sort of fan speculation or do fans just take it too far? What's funny with the Pittsburgh fan base too, is it's like, guys, he, he just played in your city for four years, right? (laughs) Exactly. Right. It was very, very silly. So yeah, the, the, the college ball is a little smaller than an NFL ball, but you also got a chance to see Kenny at the senior bowl. And I think that's one of the values to some of the pre-draft events, the all-star games is you get to see them on a neutral setting, kind of put them outside of whatever their hometown environment was. And they use an NFL ball. So um, yeah, I think there's certainly something to be just aware of, but it's never really going to be a backbreaker. Like Desmond Ritter, I think has more career fumbles than Kenny Pickett does. And he's got 10 inch hands. So it's only a problem. If it's a problem is one of the sayings that we come back to. And for Kenny, he could control the ball fine with the glove. He didn't have egregious fumble rates, you know, at least compared to some of his contemporaries in this year's class. Uh, Yeah, Jess, I thought it was a little bit too much ado about nothing personally. Me too. I mean, for, Pittsburgh fans to have any issue about it when he played 
right. there blows my mind. But, but I mean, listen, that's why football is the top sport in the United States, man. People lose their mind over things like that. How about uh, position groups? Which is the strongest? What are the, the top ones and which is the weakest? Yeah, uh, I would say this year's pass rush group is very strong. And it could have been even stronger without the injury to David Ajabo, uh, unfortunately, the Michigan pass rusher who uh, has a really exciting future in front of him. I'm looking forward to seeing him bounce back from the uh, Achilles injury that he suffered at the Michigan Pro Day. Um, but, she, I mean, we could go seven deep in the first round, and it would not surprise me one bit. Uh, I think the wide receiver class is crazy deep. That's why these teams are year over year now. We're seeing them get impact starters on day two in the NFL draft. And this year, uh, we might see a little bit more of an aggressive run. But I still think based on the depth in that group, teams are probably going to be a little bit more content to say, let's not panic. Let's see who's available a little bit later as compared to, to kickstarting like a, freight, a crazy frenetic run on that position. Uh, and then the corner group, too, is another group, I think, especially in the top two rounds, the top 64, top 75, has a lot of really, really good players who are scheme-specific sc starters. And then the guys at the top, I think, are all generally scheme-transcendent, being Derek Stinley, Ahmad Garner, and Andrew Booth Jr. Uh, I think those three are absolute studs. So uh, I look at those three groups, and I think there's a lot of depth there. Uh, I think the interior defensive line, you get a little dicey after the first probably five or six guys. And then the quarterback class just kind of lacking that top end talent. I think those would probably be the two I would earmark as your weakest classes this year. Two, two questions, Kyle. One, I just saw your cat walk by. What is your cat's name? Yeah. And his, his name's Logan. 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 Okay. Nice, okay. To see, nice to meet you, Logan. Uh, second question, Thanks, your, your biggest draft surprise over the last few years, someone who you were like, there's no way this guy's going to go in the first round or there's no way this guy's going to make it to the second round. And then all of a sudden some team either reached for him or they fell or, or something crazy happened that you were not expecting. Yeah. I, I would probably point to the safety position. It feels like every year over the last couple of years, there's been at least one safety. That's like, there's no way they let this guy fall out of the first round, right? Whether it was Antoine Winfield jr. From Minnesota or Xavier McKinney uh, from Alabama and I guess the, the argument is positional value, but with how much of the game today is, is played in five DB uh, personnel groupings, whether you've got three safeties on the field or you've got three corners on the field, those safeties and the versatility that they bring, especially in trying to mismatch with opposing tight ends, they're more valuable than they've ever been. And to continue to see the league kind of fall behind that trend as far as really coveting those players, I think has been a really surprising turn of events in the last couple of years for me. And obviously we expect to get Kyle Hamilton and probably the first 12 picks, I would say is I'd set his floor probably predictively at 12, but even behind him, like you have Lewis seen from Georgia, you have Jaquan Brisker from Penn state. Uh, you have Daxton Hill from Michigan. You've got a group of like really, really versatile guys with different sizes and speeds and hitting power and, I'm going to ask myself that question again. Like they're not really going to let all these guys fall out of the first round. Right. But uh, they're those mock draft projections seem to have them all right on the fringe and they, they might not make it in as far. Listen, we know who the top like 10, 12 names are. They keep it's sometimes they get put on different teams, but we basically know what the top ones are of those top names. Who do you think has, cause it happens every year. Who falls? Who falls all of a sudden and goes in the 20s or, God forbid, out of the first round? 
which which guy or a couple guys yeah, might, I'll, might I'll be really interested to see what ends up happening with Derek Stingley Jr. Uh, his 2019 season was the best tape of any prospect in this year's class, regardless of position. But oh, the last two seasons that he's had since, he struggled with availability and injury. Um, the performance still wasn't that high-end expectation that he set as a, a true freshman. So he's the one for me that I think, especially with how many other pass rushers and offensive tackles, like we could see four offensive tackles and, and four defensive ends go in the top 12 and I wouldn't bat an eye. So now if you add a, a quarterback, a wide receiver or two into that group and at least one other corner, like he might be the odd man out there. Um, he's the one that I really am fascinated to see how teams choose to covet what you were in 2019 when you were an All-American and what you've been the last two years, especially with one of those injuries being a Liz Frank foot injury, which is always really scary for those athletes on the outside. So looking at, forget even the second day, go to the third day, because we know as the draft goes on, teams try to, now they try and get the bargain. They try and yeah. hold off on a guy as long as they can. So are there a couple of guys maybe on that third day that you think could be those diamonds in the rough that Jimmy Johnson way back when was always so great at finding and all of a sudden, you know, they were all pros and hall yeah, of famers. Uh, I would look to Notre Dame for one of them in Kyron Williams. I, th I don't, I don't know that he's necessarily mm, gonna be like a 1300 yard rusher for anybody in the NFL, but a back who can catch the ball like Kyron can is somebody who's recruited as a slot receiver and can pass protect the way that Kyron can pass protect. Yes. Oh, yeah. Notre Dame fans are all nodding their heads in agreement right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He sticks his he, face in there he real put well. Leo Chennault, who's the best blitzing linebacker in 260 pounds, and like reminds me of Brian Cushing, what he was when he came to Houston out of USC. He put him flat on his back in that game, and he's 195 pounds. Like I stood up out of my chair mm -hmm. on that one, and I was, and I'm one of those like weird, football draft Nick guys who like, oh, we can tell. I care. I, if you're running back, I want to know if you could pass, for <laughs> right? Like that's good. What's going to move the needle right. for me. Everybody's like, okay, what's his yards per carry? No, I want to know what you do on third date when you got to stick your face in the hole. And Kyron's got those contributions in the passing game. And I definitely think that's something that's going to set him up for a lot of success in the NFL. Okay. Last question, Kyle, but at the beginning of this, you said that the draft has a different flavor this year. What flavor mm. is the draft this year? Is it like a salted caramel? Is it like, uh praline butter pecan is it like a strawberry what flavor are we giving it how how about a rocky road oh oh you, you get oh. some some Double good crunch in there from time to time a good mix of flavors but uh you never know what you're going to get in each bite because uh, there's so much that they stick in there so i'll go okay. with rocky road all right Kind of like that. All right, last one for me i'm putting the over under at quarterbacks in the first round at three can I take a push? All right, I'm putting it. I'm putting it at two and a half. I'll take the over reluctantly. Okay. <laughs> reluctantly, I do think Malik Willis goes. Uh, I do think Desmond Ritter goes. And there's been a little bit of buzz over the last couple of weeks that Sam Howell is going to go, and he's got the advantage of being one of those who was at the Senior Bowl, and teams got some extra exposures to him. Obviously, the whole discussion point around having the fifth year option for quarterbacks and that that being a right. little bit more of a motivating factor and you got a team in um in Detroit right there at 32 who you know is also the team that that's picking there at the top so there's going to be some uh, interesting decisions there if they choose not to go with the quarterback at two like do they get it on the double dip back around so I, I will take three and overall two and a half 
All right, Kyle. Well, we appreciate your time. And while the Super Bowl was a while ago, your That's Super right. Bowl is coming up very soon uh, uh, with the draft. I know you put a ton of work into it, and we really appreciate the breakdown. Thanks, man. Uh, it's really great talking with both you guys. Thanks for having me on. We're going to talk more about the draft next week. The draft is next weekend, Mike, and you and Mike Jr. are going to the draft, but I've never been to the NFL draft. I've never been drafted. I've never drafted <laughs> anybody in it. So I think you probably have a little bit of more of a closer relationship and can kind of shed light on some of the behind the scenes things. Cause now you've what you've been drafted. You've, um, drafted a player on behalf of the Eagles. Right. Is that right? Yes. And now you cover the draft. Right. So what what is your favorite thing about draft weekend and what are you looking forward to this year? As a player, the favorite thing was it being over because, you know, I went to the combine as a senior, but I had come off shoulder surgery. So I didn't, wasn't able to run there. So, and, and when I, it wasn't in, obviously Lucas Oil wasn't around when I was a player. We had it, we, we our combine was at Arizona State. Uh, on the outdoor field, running on grass, and and um, it, it just being over because for I always hated doing it before I got the shoulder operated on training the way I did because you're training for all non-football things, you know, a broad jump, a high jump, a cone drill, shit you don't do on the field at all. But you have to take your time to do that to show the teams that you worked on it. You know, and then you can find it because you ask a lot of these players, what's the favorite thing about getting to the draft? Knowing I never have to do that stuff again. You're never going to have to run a 40 again or do a cone Ugh. drill or any kind of, you could just concentrate on football. And then, then it's different. You know, just there are, the, you know, the year I was drafted, I was picked in the 10th round. So I'm hoping to get a call. This is when there were 12 rounds. So I'm hoping to get a call. Guys in the first round, the first pick my year <clears throat> was Bruce Smith. You know, guys like that know they're getting a call within the first 30 minutes of the draft. It's just where they're going to get drafted and at what number they're going to get drafted. I was picked at number 255, you know, so I was waiting and hoping to get drafted. Mike, my son, waited through the draft and in the fifth, you know, when it was seven rounds, now this is just a few years ago, in the fifth and sixth round, he started getting calls from teams saying, we may not draft you, but we want you as a, you know, we want to sign you as an undrafted free agent, a preferred undrafted or free agent or whatever it was. And he had a couple teams doing that. So he had to sit through the whole draft before he, you know, went through that. So it, it is something you do. You just want to know where you're going to be and know the next time you have to do something, it's with that team. And now you have a home. Covering a draft was interesting. Uh, you know, Greeny and I covered a couple of drafts at ESPN. And it was the, the one I remember the most was when Aaron Rodgers dropped. You know, it was him and Alex Smith. And I thought Aaron was going to be number one. I remember me and Merrill Hodge were going back and forth. He thought Alex Smith and Alex Smith did go number one and Aaron dropped. And we got Aaron on with us right on the floor there on, on the, our draft show. And he was so mad, you know, about it. And, and, and I even said to him, Aaron, listen, I got picked in the 10th round. I mean, it was happy to get drafted at that point. You went in the first round. I mean, you still went in the first round. But he was like, I should have been number one. So there's different expectations for these guys, you know. And somebody always drops, and then they have the chip on their shoulder. Hell, Tom Brady still talks about it. How many quarterbacks were taken ahead of him? Going well, Aaron, I think Aaron Rodgers still has the chip on his shoulder, Oh, too, without right? a doubt. But that, that's what's so amazing about these guys is how they carry that chip. You know, on their shoulder, and he was drafted in the first round. So that's been one of the biggest differences I've seen over the years with players. 
Well, yeah, athlete, the athlete overcoming adversity trope is not something that's going away anytime soon. Yeah, and what adversity? You didn't go number one. You went number, what, 20-whatever? I mean, oh, my God, what Mike, adversity? We, exact, we feed into it, too, though. You're a podcaster overcoming adversity right now by podcasting while still hungover from your daughter's wedding. So, true, true. You know, it, everyone loves an underdog story. Everyone loves a story where someone can overcome something to succeed. And I think so far we've been successful in recording this show despite your obvious – uh, you know, issues uh, dealing mean, with the- my obviously blood alcohol issues. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what I meant. So, yeah, I mean, I look as a fan watching the draft. I always like it because there's two things that I like that are, you know, maybe people can relate to. The first thing is that usually your team gets better on draft night. Even right. if you draft someone that you hate, like a, a pick that you didn't want, like, oh, we, you know, last year, the Steelers fans, why, why do we get a running back in the first round? We need offensive linemen. Um, guess what? Najee Harris yeah. turned out to be sure the best did. player on the team last season. So even if there's a pick that you don't like or that you think is going to be a bust, there's always a chance that your team's going to get better, right? Like not a lot of teams get worse during the draft, although there are some obvious exceptions. But the other thing I like to look out for are where uh, people I went to college with or people that played at right. Notre Dame or people that I might have covered in college, where they end up. So, you know, first is like when I was in college, I like to see where Notre Dame guys who I maybe had a class with, like where they'd get drafted. So that was always really cool. And then afterwards it was like, okay, all these Notre Dame guys that I've been following for the last few years. And then after that, like I working at Sports Illustrated, it was, you know, maybe we do a profile on a player. So like last year we did a, I did a video on a player from Miami, Greg Rousseau. So I was really oh, interested yeah. to see where he would end up because he opted out of his senior right, year. Right, right was a really good player, but there was some question marks because he didn't play um, because of COVID. So it was cool seeing him get drafted last year and going to the Bills, and then he ended up having a really good season. So uh, those are the things that I like to look out for. It's the storylines, really. Like being a fan of both college and NFL, it's very cool to see players that have come up through college football kind of have their moment, be on stage, um, especially knowing like they're, they're about to go get paid finally yeah. uh, when you've been watching them for the last few years. You know, away from the player side of it, in covering the draft, like I said, I would do radio with Greeny on the first day, but then the other days I would end up doing TV for ESPN. And it always amazed me, even toward the end of the draft, now when I was doing it, it was always in New York, and now it's barnstorming everywhere, and what a huge success that is. But even on the, the, the third day, you know, the, the places are still packed. The teams are still wondering who they're going to get because just as you said, there's hope for all 32 teams. But I did the, the fan experience and not just in the first round, but all the way to the seventh round is just amazing. It's why it's the greatest sport in America and why people love it so much um, is because everybody can be involved there. But I was always amazed at fans and their fandom, even for a seventh round draft pick, a compensatory draft pick after the fifth round, you know, and hooting and hollering and looking up the guy and wondering how he's going to fit in their team. I mean, I just think that stuff is awesome. And of course, uh, you know, no NFL draft can begin without the obligatory booing of the commissioner. So there's just a lot of traditions baked into it and, and something to look forward to for everybody. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER in Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, and Wyoming. 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado and New Hampshire. 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. 8778-HOPE-NEW-YORK or text HOPE-NEW-YORK 467-369 in New York. Visit opgr.org in Oregon. Call or text the Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-889. 
1-888-532-3500 Virginia. 21 plus only. 18 plus in New Hampshire and Wyoming. Physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Louisiana, Michigan, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New York, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming only. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for full terms and conditions. No results guaranteed. Void were prohibited. Eligibility restrictions apply. See www.draftkings.com slash sportsbook for full details. Odds and lines are subject to change.